what really annoyed me was was that I could never, I couldn't use the excuse anymore of why I didn't wear a helmet because I never hit my head. You know, I'd, I'd never, uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in 13 years of skating or whatever, I'd never come close to hitting my head. Yeah, there's just somebody, your mother just waving the finger at you being like... Welcome to Man's Blogcast. This week is a very special edition because I've got somebody else here with me. My good friend, Philip Halton, who wrote an amazing story this week, which has just been blown up. And we're going to have a chat about it as well as some other topics. So how's things, Philip? How are you getting on? Yeah, good, man. It's been a fucking good start to the Can I swear on this? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Man. It's, it's fucking encouraged. <laughs> I mean, people listen to this one, mind. Yeah. All right, good. No, it was a good start to the year, you know, but it's all pretty much been downhill since then because yeah, uh, the I way mean, things went pretty... with the numbers. Um, we started off on the Liffey on a boat tour with myself and uh, two yeah. of the lads and then uh, mm-hmm. got further up than we ever did before because of a lucky high tide and had a yeah. cup of tea, you know, up on someone's mm-hmm. old abandoned barge. Yeah. Uh, and then slowly but surely let ourselves back down the Liffey where I mm-hmm. climbed underneath the uh, steel skeleton of a bridge. Oh, I think I saw pictures of that. Yeah. And this is in, in the old dove. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the bridge was exactly 200 years old, like the day we got up or whatever. But uh, So it was 1821 to 2021. So are, you still allowed, are you still allowed out on the boat at the moment or is it uh, slightly friendly? I don't know. I think for emergency services, you probably shouldn't, to be honest. But the Liffey is a very safe place to be because you're uh-huh. always within like 50 meters of uh, ladder access and uh, it's it's pretty much still water. It's so slow. So. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't be in too much trouble if you fell no, out. No, exactly. Well, the I want to say, first of all, thanks, obviously, for speaking with me and for doing the article i mean i don't know how many people have said it to me or messaged me about it being like wow that was really powerful stuff i think a lot of people really appreciated it at this time when it's pretty mm. miserable like yeah yeah um you were my you, you were my muse for it actually because uh i mm-hmm. had been listening to your recent enough podcast on the loneliness yeah. and yeah. um like for me when it comes to writing i I, I won't really practice it or do it. I, you know, like, mm-hmm. you, you know, as well as anyone, when I send you something, it's, it, it comes to me within that day and I write it within, you know. Yeah, 40, it felt very minutes. like you just like got the inspiration and bam, like it, it just came yeah. out all in one. Exactly. That, yeah. that was my impression. I can't mm-hmm. control it. So that's why I think being a writer for me would be a very difficult thing to do because it's so, uh, it's, it's, so, <laughs> yeah. it's so organic, you know. It's, it's a mysterious old process. I wish I could do it most of the time, but it's uh, yeah, it's quite up in the air. Like yeah, and the, then, the reaction to it was was almost overwhelming. Actually, with some of the messages that came in, yeah, did a lot of people reach out to you about it and kind of uh, they tell you how they felt? Yeah, mm. lots of people, and um, you know, people weren't holding back as well, which I quite appreciated. Yeah. Like because um, yeah. you know, even people that I may have not even met in person before were very open. Yeah. Okay. Um, wow. wow. Yeah, and so it was really, really nice. But uh, I suppose the slightly worrying thing about that was mm-hmm. for every one person who did come and message me, uh, you know, and, and were willing to be open and, and talk about it or whatever, talk yeah, about yeah. some of the issues that they've been going through. My kind of worry was 
oh my god how many other people are going through this that happened because yeah. you would think the majority wouldn't actually mm-hmm. you know message you wouldn't back reach out to yeah. yeah exactly so for every one you know heartwarming mm-hmm. conversation i got to have it was a- another sort of a doubt of thinking jesus how many other people actually might be in yeah and even just the sheer amount of people that are affected by it but there was something very universal about it really i think Mm. even for me reading it like there was a lot of stuff in my own life that it would have slightly mirrored and that was quite like familiar of that you know getting out of school and the kind of confusion afterwards and trying to piece together it's a real it's a hero story as well because of obviously what you've done with goblin magazine with your entrepreneurial stuff and with construction and everything so it's amazing that it has you know a happy ending coming from where you were um, why do you think it resonated with so many people? I mean, I'm not exactly sure. Like, it's it was it was quite the truthful like account of it. I didn't really put yeah. any window dressing on it whatsoever, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's also surely got to do with the fact that there is a lot of people searching for meaning in a sense throughout yeah. this whole pandemic. You know, like people have yeah. been kind of, I, and I've seen it online quite a lot where. Mm-hmm people are kind of grasping at straws and something to cling on to to kind of give them meaning. And and unfortunately, the turbulent year that's been in it, a lot of people have found that in divisive politics. <laughs> yeah, I you mean, know? there's been a, a lot of stuff, certainly. It's quite, I think, probably the isolation and being so forced to, I suppose, sit down with yourself a lot, yeah. which would have been, which is very unusual. I mean, I've spent a lot of time on my own, obviously, because you do a lot of writing on your own. and it's quite a solitary sport, but for most people, this is really odd, like where we're just forced into cubicles, basically, and you have to yeah, exactly. you know, deal with your own thoughts. And, and this was a point that I had tried to been put across in that uh, article, whatever. And yeah. the most important point that I kind of learned throughout those couple of years of hardship was, <laughs> you know, there is those three states whereby you're either in your own head or you can uh you can write to try and you know figure mm-hmm. out where it is you're at exactly or to you get can, it down on paper yeah, and kind yeah. Of or you can talk the perspective right yeah. and and now most people don't write it's not actually a very common thing to find that people write their experiences no it, it doesn't come natural to people i think no. it's um it can be quite frightening for them the blank page and i think school as well makes it difficult because you're so used to writing being graded and you get an A or a B or whatever, it's quite like an academic thing. Whereas it can be actually more of just you reflecting on your own experience and kind of communicating with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't write in any structured way. I just ramble when I'm writing for myself. It's, it's strictly rambling and that's fine because that's how your mind works. It rambles on, you know, there's, it's not until later that you can kind of put these things into a structure. Yeah. And writing is a kind of thinking as well. So whenever you do like the first draft where it all gets thrown out, that's kind of like the raw material of your brain. And then as you go over it and kind of sort it out, you'll probably see even over the few articles that you've done that there's kind of a development of thought that goes on all the time. It goes from kind of, you can see it sort of refining itself, these ideas as you write more and it kind of chisels out in your mind a what it is these feelings are and what's going on with yourself. I think it's a great way to get to know yourself. Yeah, really. exactly. Exactly. That's, I mean, that's what I found. It's so important. But then, you know, mm-hmm. if you take into context the situation that we've had over the last 12 or 13 months, where people are spending so much time on their own, see, like the danger in that is that, like I was saying within that article, is that like your head is 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 not a very good place to be if you're not in a good place, right? Mm-hmm. So 
if you're st- if you're spending so much time alone over all of these months and you know you haven't got a solid routine you're kind of waking up at any other time of the day yeah, and uh, yeah. and like how many young people you know have have actually lost their jobs throughout all of this you know i i've been yeah. i've been one of the very lucky few that has been able to keep working through it and i know you can say like oh the 350 is great for many people you know to yeah. be on the dole like it is a lot of money <laughs> by comparison to maybe if you're only working two or three nights a week but yeah. like at the end of the day you wouldn't really appreciate that money without having to work for it right you know like it is the, yeah like the, the job game. is almost as important really it's something yeah. to do that <clears throat> makes you feel like you matter and that you have kind of that you're contributing to something it's kind of an interesting you know the way there's always the talk of if automation comes in and everything mm. a universal basic income for everybody but nobody has any jobs this is kind of like a, a dry run of it like if we get yeah. robots for everything it's just 350 dull forever like Mm. And but, you, kind of, um, you realize actually that when there's nothing to do, how many hours there are in the day that previously you wouldn't have thought possible. Yeah. And how you can kind of tear yourself to bits, man. I don't know what I'm doing these days, like sitting there on social media, just going from like Instagram to Facebook to Twitter to YouTube, just like mm. wandering around. And it's such a like, it's number one, it's a waste of time. And number two, I'm pretty sure it's incredibly addictive. Like it's. Yeah. It is, and uh, it's Not per- it's, it is purposely mm. designed like that. And you know, yeah, like there, there are literally supercomputers aiming at each of us individually, trying <laughs> yeah. to uh, to take as much of our attention as possible. Because it's not a, it's not really a, um, like the whole game is is mm-hmm. to keep your attention as long as possible. That's that's what that's these, what they're competing over. Like right, yeah. exactly. And if you mm. look at it, it's interesting. However many years it took for Facebook to get like a hundred million members and then yeah. instagram sliced that in half by the amount mm-hmm. of time that it took them and now yeah. tiktok has also done the same so yeah. like every time these uh new like platforms come available mm. they're just becoming better at what they do and more yeah. efficient and taking up yeah. more of your time and i've seen time. recently mm-hmm. that bebo is making its comeback which is but that's gonna be that's <laughs> the one like that's, that's the one <laughs> <laughs> do you think they'll still have top 16s in it or is that like yeah it's not too brutal now <laughs> like that's that's gonna be divisive it was divisive as a 12 year old and and I, 20, yeah, 21 <laughs> who, who's your other half on bebo now like? yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> like that's really up in your shit you know people yeah. really wanting to know uh, it's kind of it's such a big social experiment though i know you your article media blackout where you took the month off and you got kind of a bit of insight afterwards about what it's like not having it. I mean, I only got a smartphone when I was 25, really. I had like a crappy kind of broken iPhone, which I had Facebook on and that was it. So I didn't really spend any time on it. But it's only in the last like year or so that I've really gotten into like social media and stuff. Yeah, And it's crazy, man. It's just like going on Twitter is like somebody playing table tennis with your emotions. You're just... Mm-hmm reading things that are just pure hatred from people and pure rage and pure anger and it's like this can't be good a good diet for your brain you know what no, i mean it's I, not good no, like, i never got twitter and i never will i have no interest oh in god man i it's yeah especially now and, you know it's like it's like with the bebo thing it's like i'm not gonna get this i don't need more of this in my life. <laughs> yeah. i need less of it you know i know yeah. you need to go back i like, think with the lockdown though it's kind of become reality where there's so little going on elsewhere that we're kind of just filling the time with yeah. distractions. Yeah, it's funny because a few years ago, like, you know, I've only had Facebook and Instagram and stuff uh, for like the last four or five years, I think, because I actually did delete all of this stuff 
before. Yeah, completely. But the <laughs> problem was I deleted it in a time where, um, it, it, you know, it just I was I was in agony. Really, I, it wasn't a yeah. good it wasn't a good space and time for me to actually yeah. disconnect from people. And mm. I did realize, uh, you know, I didn't have any of that stuff for like I think it was like two years. I was off it, yeah. you know, Facebook and all that. But yeah. you do lose contact with people, and people do forget about you, and that's actually and you get left behind. Yeah, you, you get left behind. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. So you do get left behind. That's why it is actually important to have these platforms. But what you want to try and do is, um, you want to try and regulate them as best as you possibly can, and that's really not mm. not an easy thing to do. Now, since that media blackout in October, I've actually been doing really well with my time management on Instagram. So what I oh, what yeah? I will typically do is. Um, spend at least one to two days off it altogether per week. And yeah. then I will download it for about 20 minutes, maybe a day, and then get rid of it again. And it's, I'm really not spending that. And that's actually just deleting the app off the phone. Is really that's helpful. a really good idea. Yeah. So you're actually like abstaining where there's days where you won't use it. And then the only times you are using it, there's kind of a block in the way there. So you have to download it. So it's like yeah. extra hassle on top of it. Exactly. That's a really good idea. I do that with food. Like I only buy, like I try and shop really healthy because that way I won't be bothered going out to eat food because it's already in the house. <laughs> yeah. Like so that's just the problem like, now that I've moved back in with my mom, yeah. whereby she she's doing is, the shopping. Oh, she's very happy to buy crisps and bars and all this stuff now. If she's it was trying up to, to me, kill you on the sly. Yeah. If it was up yeah. to me, I would never bring that stuff into a house because, yeah. you know, yeah. as soon as it's there, you're going to eat it. You're eating uh, it, man. You know, yeah, it's, if it's put right in front of you, like, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's really difficult. And again, so how many times a day do you open up the likes of Instagram or whatever it is subconsciously? Oh God, I have no idea, man. Sometimes I'm like, it's the middle of the morning and I just find myself on it. Like you're kind of like sleepwalking onto Instagram at eight in the morning and it's yeah, definitely not good. I, it's just become, it becomes muscle memory. I think even when there was one weekend where I was like, I'm not going to do any social media for 48 hours. And even when I take my phone out, you know, to unlock it, my thumb would automatically go to do the circle of clicking on all the social media, like, yeah. because I've just programmed myself to do it again and again. <laughs> I mean, I it's, took my, my phone out of my pocket there the other day and it yeah. was, it was as slick as a Western would like movie. You would take, uh, yeah, out, it's like, need you'd a take out your or pistol, you know? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ, this is, I'm way too used to doing it's, this. Like, it's become like an extension of your arm or something. In mm. I, I've noticed it really in the lockdown where it's like, it's like if you work in a bar and you're like always using bottles all the time and bottles become like a part of your hand, your phone is just like constantly there. But hopefully, I mean, do you think after lockdown people are going to restrict it maybe or like, um, is it is it going to die off? It's it's hard to say, right? Like I, I found after those four or five weeks when I, when I was off of it, uh, you know, all of that stuff all together. Like my phone usage just dropped dramatically. I never charged my phone before going to bed at, at nighttime. I actually didn't yeah. need to. I would charge it yeah, maybe. It was just, yeah, you, know. you weren't even using it. Yeah, I was barely using it. Like <laughs> I was barely, barely using it. And and then I actually realized how, how much of a useful tool your phone is for doing productive stuff, like your emails and uh, searching for certain things, locations or whatever, or products on, on Google yeah. and stuff that you need for work. <laughs> it's an amazing tool. Like, Oh, it's insane. It is Not. brilliant. But the problem is there is so many of these little distractions that just, so Not like uh, the argument that I've come across, uh, very regularly when I, when I try and say, like, if I was, if I was putting the ar argument across that reducing your time on social media is 
is mm-hmm. very important or whatever it is, you know, and yeah. a lot of people say, well, I need it for my job. And yeah. I, and mm-hmm. I was like, mm, yeah, that's, that's true. I don't really know how, if you're relying yeah. upon it for information coming across contacts for that, you know, how do you kind of respond to that? And I actually have found in the manner that I, what I've been doing by only using it for a couple of minutes a day and then d- downloading it, whatever, you know, tomorrow yeah. is <laughs> it's been more efficient for me actually, because yeah. I know I'm only there for like 15 minutes and I, I do what I need to do on the Goblin page. and get the job done rather than done. messing around. Yeah. And yeah. there's no, there's no distractions. And then what I now mm. find, right. In, it's so funny how much this has even changed in those couple of months since I'd done this blackout, because uh, when I came back onto Instagram, their whole kind of layout had changed again. And the button more, more, really interestingly, where you used to click on your notifications for likes and follows and stuff like that, probably the most used button was replaced by a fucking shopping mall. And I was like, yeah, Jesus, this, yeah, yeah. this is so in your you face know. about what they're trying to do, you know? Uh, really expanded for advertising in the last while, I think. There's, massively, that's, yeah. And that's, that's where the money's from. Well, that's, uh, that's their downfall too, though, you know? Because they've done this with Facebook already. Nobody uses Facebook because the rewards that you got for staying on Facebook after a while diminished rapidly because it all just became either actual like you know fake news or <laughs> or yeah. uh, or adverts you know so and i find that on instagram so it's like every third post is now an advert and it's like it's all, even all business yeah mm-hmm. even if it's tailored to you you're just like oh fucking come on i don't want to be looking at this yeah you kind of get used to like your your eyes almost start to filter them like where you can't actually see advertisements anymore it's like on youtube videos <laughs> yeah. it's just like it, this is the bit where I just wait for five seconds before a YouTube video and I don't know what's happening. And yeah. some guy's just pitching something to you for his life and you're just ignoring it. And then just you watch something like it's where I think we'll probably get trained to actually just filter it out. But that's might be why it's getting more intense. Like mm. I'm like, obviously, with the website and stuff now, I've looked at some advertising and even for my book and stuff. And the options, like it's a whole industry in itself. It's like the social media marketing is the new thing, like TV marketing, radio spots and stuff like that. That's all like things of the past. It's going to be all email marketing and social media. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm about to take the approach of emailing as opposed to Instagram through for, for a yeah. goblin because, uh, yeah. I mean, I genuinely do feel somewhat like responsible mm-hmm. for feeding into the frenzy of, of just social yeah. social uh, social dilemmas uh so what i would like to uh, kind of push towards is setting up an email and list whereby we can just contact you directly about uh any upcoming yeah, issues it's or, the best or way events. man i think if and that way people you're only getting to the people that actually want to hear from you rather yeah. than just you know mm-hmm. churning stuff out all the time yeah. and then um you know instagram is actually quite complex for its for like for its algorithms and stuff now there's a lot of tools that you can use there but uh, it's not really set up in such a way for your benefit unless you're paying into it and unless you're really trying to like break down all the analytics. Yeah, and stuff, I mean, you know? they've changed the algorithm quite recently as well, where it seems to be that like you more, the more traction you get with posts, the more it's posted up to other people. Whereas before it seemed to be like the most likes you get or something, but now mm-hmm. it's the most shares. I don't really know. It seems that they're making it more difficult to do. But, yeah, like it's changing I mean, all the time. And, you know, yeah. From the skateboarding magazine point of view, uh, like the whole premise of that was actually to take things offline. Like it's a physical yeah. printed magazine and the main event is in person. Like unfortunately. Yeah, that's history. true. Whenever you were, whenever you were setting up Goblin, um, was that something you thought about? Was yeah, that like you, was, you wanted yeah, yeah. it to be in person? 
Yeah, now I've seen all, a lot of this stuff happen in the skateboarding world, uh, maybe before it really dawned on me how large the, how large it's become to every industry, whatever, you know, like an online presence. Because within skateboarding, like what was happening was you went from a situation whereby you had, um, you know, lots of magazines, let's say, for instance, and the idea was that, well, to get recognized and get sponsored, you want to get photographs put in these magazines, and that's how you get your name out there. You know, like that's over time. Yeah, and, and like over time, these magazines are moving more online. And this is a, a similar situation with media at large. You know, they're moving online. So what happened then was you actually needed to gain a large following count to get any sponsorships or whatever it was. And like me as a young skater, like I really wanted to get a, a decent sponsorship and yeah, and probably yeah. within the UK as well, because that's like mm-hmm. the closest. Bigger um, market. Bigger market. And like, you know, the, mm-hmm. yeah. So like more established or, or whatever over there, I guess, in terms of like companies and and whatever and sponsorships so i really wanted to get into that but then you know it really just dawned on me how much of a rat race it was and then there's a very short term uh way of thinking on these platforms because historically what you would have done in skateboarding was you would have worked for like one or two years or or more even to film an entire video part of yourself and that's that's a lot of work like that is a lot of work. Wow, yeah. two years recording just like your own tricks and then you put together like... Exactly, yeah. Them. And yeah. like the difficulty of that in a country where it rains 265 days <laughs> Yeah, year, I mean, you know? got like two weeks maybe in July when you could yeah. do it. Like it's, it's really <laughs> difficult. Like it's... it's uh, yeah. I seriously commend anyone who manages Serious to put together. Serious grit and determination to be out there in yeah. Ireland in winter yeah, rolling and, and around. Really like, you know, the only... The only reward sentiment that you're getting back off it is it is your own contentment and happiness because you're not really going to make money off of it, you know? Hmm. Uh, and that's, like, you're taking a lot of punishment as well. That's the thing that always impresses me. Like I was watching a video of you doing that jump the other day over, like it was railings and kind of a ramp. I don't yeah. know if it was like back of some shops or something, but like, that's a big jump. Like, you know what I mean? If that goes wrong, you're, you know, that, that could go seriously badly. Like, so yeah. there's a lot of cojones involved skateboarding which i always really have a deep appreciation for not being able to do it yeah um i mean it's the same with like martial arts though right because you're most dangerous to yourself when you begin and because you don't really know that much yeah so skateboarding like people would be amazed to see you're not wearing a helmet but i would actually argue overall it's it's it actually is a pretty safe sport like because you Mm. learn how to fall like if you don't learn how to fall you're really gonna be yeah it's not gonna go so well yeah and Mm -hmm. uh I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm. Whether I've just learned it or I'm blessed with certain like cat-like reflexes in certain circumstances yeah. when I'm falling, I've gotten away very lucky. I mean, there was one fall there a couple of years ago where I split my head open, and like what oh, really annoyed me, yeah, like the blood everywhere. But what really annoyed me about that was, um, was that I it wasn't so much that I had taken the fall and you know I split my head open and I had to go through the whole fucking rigmarole of like you know get stitches or whatever. It's like that's fine. What really annoyed me was was that I could never, I couldn't use the excuse anymore of why I didn't wear a helmet because I never hit my head. You know, I I'd, I'd never uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in thirteen years of skating or whatever, I'd never come close to hitting my head. Yeah, there's just somebody, your mother, just waving the finger at you, being like, "Yeah." yeah. And so the very railing that I fell on. Now that was a big, that was actually a big knock of confidence for me. Uh, yeah. And in many ways, mm. I still have a bit of a hang up about that that fall because it, you know it was it was dangerous i'm very conscious about head injuries it's something Taking that risks and yeah i mean jesus yeah. man it's the same in martial arts like you gotta be you only got one brain exactly uh, yeah i yeah. i'll 
throw my knees into the ground a hundred times, it wouldn't bother me. But like mm. one hit to the head, I take very serious. Yeah. And of course, our our uh, health system over here, they told me I'd be waiting something like 13 hours to get seen, even though I my head was gushing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but anyway, so, I, I, with, I dig- with Goblin, I was just kind of wondering there, like, so I like the idea. I mean, one of the last Goblin event that I was at, the last one that you had in the Sugar Club, there was such uh, an atmosphere of a real community. Was that something that you intended to do with keep, taking it away from online stuff, wanting it to be more an actual magazine that you have and events that you can go to where all the people that read it are there? Yeah. It, yeah, it felt like a real kind of something that you don't really get anymore that much. It was, it felt very, you know, kind of like an older, like school times or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, it's cool. That is the whole, the whole, so I, I spent, uh, six months, like four mm-hmm. times a week after work, every evening, or, you know, every other evening, Jeez. uh, going out filming. And that was all yeah. throughout, like, you know, this time, this time of the year, mostly like in the winter, or whatever it was. And I had to do it in such a way that I was recording at least a minute of usable footage every day mm-hmm. yeah. or sorry sorry every every week rather which you know which which meant going out like four nights a week give or take and uh you had to edit it down into yeah so the editing was was all done within the two weeks prior to the event and see i i kind of over leveraged myself in that situation because i had deadlines coming up in work i had the deadline for the video and i also needed to create the events push it with advertising and it was a massive that. massive event like there was yeah. so many people there um, but like the whole time that you're doing this whole process right i have mm-hmm. the, i have usually got this final vision in my head of any project it is that i take on and what it what it is it's and i reverse engineer it yeah you know? uh, okay so, so you, you know where you're going and then you work back exactly yeah so I, there's mm-hmm. not a there's not a massive amount left up to chance oh well there is but i mean i'm fairly confident in the final product being quite yeah. what it is in my head and it did like the night literally couldn't have been any more similar to what i had imagined it and my whole time going out in the freezing cold uh, you know after doing 10 hours a day in work at like going from like 6 p.m to 10 p.m filming you might not even get anything uh, and yeah. the whole time in the back of my head i'm like this is all going to be worth it for that one night when there's like a couple hundred people together in the one roof and I'll remember this for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know? And it paid off big time, man. It was a hell yeah. of an event, really. It, it sticks out in my memory so clearly um, just because of how well done it was. That was something I wanted to ask you about as well. Do you think uh, your entrepreneurship, so it always impresses me how well you can, you know, have a plan, action it and do it. You know what I mean? Like a lot of yeah. people that would be entrepreneurial are very like pie in the sky. It's like, oh, I'm going to make an app. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do, you know, yada, yada. But you say you like I'm gonna make a skateboard magazine. You go and make a skateboard magazine. You're gonna build a boat with your bare hands and sail it down the levee. <laughs> you go and build a boat. You do it. Like, yeah. where do you think that comes from? Is it from construction? I was thinking. You know, you got jobs on the site. What? Where do you think you get that discipline from? I think I think skateboarding probably has got a lot yeah. to do with it because mm-hmm. within skating, you, you're always kind of planning. You know. Yeah. from big to small stuff like if you're planning a part you got to think in advance what it is that you're going to do like what spots you're going to you're going to go skate and what tricks you're going to do on them and and you know so it, it does come to that to a degree but at the same time like i don't just kind of like spurt stuff out and i'm like oh i'm gonna build a boat and then you know <laughs> yeah yeah like, it, like you, i guarantee you all of these things have had some you know relatively deep thought behind them before i even open my mouth about them you know uh yeah. So, because you don't like, I don't want to just come out and say, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Like I want to 
I want to be able to kind of, you know, I want to have a word that means something. Like if I come out and I say I'm going to do something. Integrity really. like Yeah, so. I, I really want to like kind of stick to that, you know. And, and I've been in plenty of situations where, uh, you know, I've said I'll do something for somebody, you know, whatever it is, mm. any number of tasks, you know. And, and yeah, I yeah. really won't even be in a position to do it because I've, I'll be so stressed and I'm busy and I'm, I'm meeting deadlines or whatever it might be. But like, I can't back out of that, honestly, you know, like not, not, you know, it's, uh, it, it is kind of in me. So if you ever your want any, any favors on me, you know, it's, I'm very, <laughs> yeah, I'll just get you to agree to it really quickly. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm very easy to agree to it and I'm very unlikely to back out of it. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's a good quality to have, man. That's something I kind of realized a bit later was how important it is to do the things that you say you're going to do. Because you almost, it, whatever about fooling other people, you do, you fool yourself into thinking that you're doing all of these great things and you might actually be doing nothing. So making sure that when you say something, no matter what it is, or like when the time comes, you're like, oh no, why did I agree to this? Yeah. That you still go through with it because what you're really training there is that you're training your discipline to be able to do stuff and complete tasks really. Yeah. But, um, and you're also, you know, you're also trying to put yourself across as like a competent, reliable, reliable person, Trustworthy, you know, yeah. which, which if that's what you value, like within mm-hmm. a person yourself, then, you yeah. know, you take the steps, take the small steps it is towards doing that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like, yeah, it, there's it a lot of integrity important. in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Integrity, you know, integrity farms. Yeah. Integrity farms. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. And, um, I wanted to ask you about school as well. So you mentioned school in the article. This is something I think, that we're, we're kind of in the same mind about. I think a lot of young dudes that are very entrepreneurial and would be good at starting something don't do well in school because school is all about doing what you're told. Yeah. It's quite the opposite of being an independent creator. Yeah. It's literally, you know, poles apart. Um, how I think I spent a lot of time daydreaming in school as well. Were you just kind of in a situation where you just wanted to get out? You were just like... Yeah, I know pretty bad relationship with school to be honest i, I yeah. you know from primary school i loved it you know it was it was just i still have lifelong friends that i met from primary school and um and whatever but when i went into secondary school uh i don't know i just from the get-go i really had a disdain for it i never enjoyed yeah. it um yeah. not that i didn't get along with my teachers i actually had quite a good relationship with my teachers because i've always enjoyed talking to people who were <laughs> more knowledgeable than me or or a little yeah. more interesting or whatever, you know? Um, Specialist. Mm-hmm. But I think school is always going to be different, difficult for like creative people anyway, because it's a very rigid uh, yeah. set of, of rules that you follow. And, and it, you know, there's, it, it's a very rigid system. Uh, yeah. I think yeah. that people are trying to change that now in regards to continuous assessment grading and stuff like that. And only time will tell like whether or not that actually turns out to be better. Um, yeah, but, like, how know, it can work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like th- there's a lot of stuff that you're just not taught in school, which really, like, you should be. Come, yeah, people come out of school not knowing how to change a light bulb. Okay, now maybe <laughs> yeah. there's not a class that specifies on, on you know how to change light, a light bulb, but light like bulb surely, changing. yeah, surely, surely there's a a practical course that should be mandatory as yeah. much as like English and Irish as to day to day things that you should probably know to be able to survive by yourself. Right. Especially when you spend, you know, what, over 20 years there. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of time. Like I've now at this age, I think about time a lot. I think about how I use it and stuff. And the idea that you have to spend eight hours a day in this situation where you're just wasting a lot of time seems ridiculous. It seems like 
there's definitely a better way of doing it, but um, you kind of just get subjected to all the other stuff. I mean, there's like so many classes that you're just not interested in that you're never going to use these things. And it seems a bit like it's kind of an outdated system, I think. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even know what a PLC was until I was about maybe two months before yeah. the Leaving Cert. I, I never, yeah. I don't even think I ever heard of what a, a post-Leaving Cert yeah. course was. And that's actually, in my opinion, they could be utilized as like the best system of education in the country. Yeah. Because from the age of 16, like, you know, you could be saying, well, I actually have a fairly good idea what, what it is that you might want to do. And then here's a specific course that you don't necessarily need the leaving cert for that you can just go dive on head in first and i i never knew of them either i had no idea what that i mean i just kind of rushed into an arts degree because i was originally wanted to do law but i didn't get enough points for it so i ended up Mm -hmm. doing economics and philosophy instead yeah but like there could have been tons of plcs that i could have done to get into say psychology or something which probably would have been better suited to what i'm doing exactly and they they give you an opportunity to learn broadly about what it is that you're you know that specific yeah and narrow it down but there isn't much i mean i know you do guidance counselors and stuff like that and like i think there was what was it the dats or something there the data which is like testing your aptitude but i don't know if you've ever done it but uh jordan peterson's self-authoring program which is Mm -hmm. to plan out your reflecting on your past and planning out your future but even something like that where you have a system for children to actually look at you know Number one, they should do personality tests, a big five personality test to see where their strengths lie. Yeah. Because even though that will change, a lot of that is also genetic. So it, it will be pretty developed. And then based on those, you can have them make a plan to where their strengths will be, what will suit them. And the education system wouldn't have to be as demoralizing as it is mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Yeah. Because yeah. everybody's subjected to the same rule. And it's it's stupid because it it some people will work better in different areas and there's enough um, opportunity these days, I think, with the internet for people to be able to do, you know, whatever they're best at, whatever's going to suit them the most. It's something um, I think quite, I think about quite a lot, but um, yeah, maybe I, that's probably a whole other podcast in itself. But Yeah, well, <laughs> no. Uh, no, but even even on that topic, like, yeah. you know, I, I have been keeping a personal uh, diary for seven years now, right? And if yeah. I look back on, uh, let's say, some of the broader parts of that diary whereby I'm, I'm attaining my goals by the age of 25, and I'm saying this at the age of like 19 or 20, whatever it is, yeah. um, and they're, they're so out of line with my, <laughs> my values <laughs> yeah. today, you know, like they're... Yeah. They're so materialistic. They're so based yeah. upon the idea yeah. that uh, I, I suppose money means so much more than than it truly does. Like mm-hmm. for me now, at the age of twenty five, when I'm not as naive as I was then, though surely more naive than I will be in another twenty five. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, from true. from my point now, like money to me is is a uh, it's a means of 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 stability and security, you know. And yeah, and, it's for freedom, really. I that's what I find. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting, like, because I've been spending a lot of time kind of walking around the city recently, and uh, it's very empty, you know. But you kind of yeah. the only sort of characters you see around is you get guys on delivery bikes, and you get the odd guard here and there, and then there's a couple of like young fellas just floating around, nothing to do, you know. But uh, it's it's funny, right? I was saying to someone the other day, um, hadn't been, haven't been swimming in a long time. It's it's outside my five mm-hmm. k. I just I haven't been doing it that much. Yeah, um, yeah. But they were telling me how, you know, there's people with dry robes popping up in all. all I don't know whether you know what a dry robe is. It's uh, a very like expensive a, towel. Yeah, one of those black rock bath towels. Is that there? Yeah, and it's 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 funny, right? Because in some ways, it kind of 
mirrors, I suppose, the dubes of 15 years ago or whatever yeah. it is. Uh, but it's a very expensive tail. Now, I get yeah. where they, I get why they'd be used because if you're going to go sea swimming, it's nice to have some sort of comfort afterwards. But, decent tail. But mm-hmm. a decent tail would probably do you rather than this thing because I think the prices on these are something like 200 to 300 quid or something. Oh, uh, like, like luxury tails. Well, it's a luxury tail. It's, it's a real, <laughs> to me, it feels like you're just flaunting. Yeah, you're yeah, flexing. Yeah, Flexing on sea people. That, and yeah. then, you know, if you go into town, the common trend now is a Canada goose jacket, right? Which is Oh, a, yeah, I've seen those on, I've yeah. seen those on the internet. Which is like a 500 to a thousand euro jacket. Like it's insane. Wow. And so it's funny, right? Because I'm like, I'm going through town. Um, and I'm, I'm, I made this joke the other day. It's a terrible joke, but still, I was like, the Canadian geese have flocked towards town and the dry robes all flock towards the city, right? Or towards, <laughs> yeah. the, towards the sea, towards the coastline, you know? Yeah. There's, there's flocks of Canadian geese going around <laughs> Dublin right now, you know? <laughs> the, the Canadian geese are probably more expensive than the dry robes as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, it's, it's an interesting sort of uh, a value system. You know, you put so much on something so meaningless like a jacket. It's just, there's no... Yeah, the kind of status element of it. I've always kind of, haven't really been hugely into that, but I suppose maybe in other ways, like we all kind of, as young fellas, competing for status is a big thing. I think that kind of comes through in your article as well. You know, uh, leaving the nightclub to walk around stuff. Like I would have had a lot of the same feelings around that time. I mean, around 2013 was really when I started getting anxiety badly, which was kind of like my first year of college. And I actually didn't even know what it was. Like I had no idea. I thought I was just having a heart attack. Like yeah. there was no, <laughs> there was no explanation of what this was. And even somebody had said to me like about anxiety, and I just like, couldn't even connect the two of them. I was just like, no, this is different. I'm dying. Like yeah. <laughs> I kind of, um, yeah. but you'd be very hesitant to communicate that to people around because when you're young, you are competing for status all the time and your position in the status higher or the hierarchy that you're in is very vulnerable. So you don't want to, I suppose, expose yourself to lose face anywhere. Um, it's quite a, like do, I suppose doing what you've done, which is very brave, writing an article about this. That's something I face as well. But as a young fella, you're, you're not going to do that. Like it's really, it's something I think that requires you to be a bit older. Yeah. To, to get perspective on it, you need to have time with these issues, you know? And so this is the, this is the real sort of complex issue that you're going to be if you're in a situation of maybe an 18 year old now that's only starting to go through this stuff is that, okay, for, first and foremost, you don't know what it is exactly that's happening to you because it's never the same for, you know, any, any one person. It's always slightly different. Your worries are slightly different. It's, it's very nuanced in that your own problems are going to come to the fore of your thoughts, right? Yeah. Um, so that's that's the first problem. So, and, and second of all, you don't know who you are, you know? Like, I'm 25 now. I'm only starting to kind of really understand who it is. <laughs> yeah, to get maybe you a know? toe down. Yeah, yeah. and there is a, there's a lot of growth between the ages of, between the seven years, let's say, of 18 and 25. There's a massive kind of a growth. Very there. interesting that you've picked those ages because that is also the highest rates of suicide, uh, except yeah. for over 65s is young men between 16 to 25. Yeah. And I think it, for me, it was a super confusing time, man. Really like, I just ended up getting drunk all the time and just trying to like, the only thing that was in your head really was to be cool or to, you know, climb the hierarchy as best you could, which is, I mean, people knock that and say it's a silly thing to do, but like, you want to be popular. You want people to like you. That's all, you know, that's also important stuff. They're skills exactly. that you have to learn. Um, but it, it's very confusing. Um, 
and there's not a lot of information on it either. No, and it's heartbreaking as well. Like they're in that story, I I do talk about that one excursion I took. Uh, we were in a nightclub on on Westland Road. It used to be yeah. called Kennedy's in the basement. Yeah. And uh, oh, I remember Kennedy. I was borrowed yeah. from there. Yeah, <laughs> right. I think a lot of people were. And you used to actually <laughs> yeah. drink in the laneway around the corner a lot of the time, rather than I, going I into the nightclub. Well. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, one of those nights of many, uh, I would be in the nightclub, and I just kind of. Yeah. I just, I, this overwhelming feeling of kind of dread nearly, it's, it builds up in your yeah. stomach and it kind of mm-hmm. goes up to tighten up your chest and your, and your, your upper body, you know, it's a horrible feeling. Oh, and, terrible. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I had no, uh, I had no forms of dealing with it other than just to actually just get away from people, quite frankly. Yeah. It would make me yeah. feel a lot more comfortable if I, if I was to struggle on my own. Now, I yeah. do not recommend drunken people to go wandering around town by themselves. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> Like I, 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 from a young age knew the city fairly well, and I would, I would be quick to judge certain situations and streets that if there, if there's something going on, I wouldn't walk down them, you know. Yeah, uh, you'd be streetwise. Yeah, so I, I knew exactly what it was that I was doing, really. But I would, I would kind of sly off, pretend I'm going to go take a piss or something like that, and I'd stroll yeah. away for a couple hours. And on mm-hmm. one of those nights, um, where Weston Row is, you know, it's only about a ten minute walk down towards the Docklands, and, yeah. um, I. I, I just seen this guy like standing up by the water's edge and I, yeah. I was like, he's, he's, I was like, go up and ask him for a smoke or something like, you know, yeah. and he's crying, you know, and I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. I'm like, you're all right, mate. You know, like what's going mm-hmm. on? And he, he couldn't even talk back to me, dude, for like, you know, a minute yeah. or two, you know, and I finally kind of got it out of him and we sat down together and like the guy's crying, dude, like, you know, and, and yeah, I, I'm obviously in sort of a heightened state as well because I just, I was pretty much just, nearly mm-hmm. had a panic attack in a nightclub and then left. Yeah. And so um, I'm sitting beside the guy trying to console each other as best as possible. But like his three friends just died that night in a car crash. Like there's nothing that you can say to somebody in that situation, really, you know, other than actually just being there beside them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that is, that is another important distinction as well, is that if you know somebody who is going through a problem, you don't always have to come up with a solution or try and fix things, but just being there is actually quite important and knowing that they can rely on you for, for when they feel confident in talking about their problems or even try or even if they know how to articulate them somewhat then when they know there's somebody there presenting an example like what you're doing which is somebody who's found their way to something else who's learned you know these kind of you know what it is that went wrong and how you're doing it better now um i think that example is very powerful for people oftentimes more than words i mean the words are powerful because of the example really yeah, um, and that's something that you can offer to people if yeah. you've gone through it. And it mm-hmm. takes it takes a lot of time to figure that stuff out. And uh, yeah. like yeah. God, God loves some of my ex girlfriends. They're the best people in the world because they are usually the ones I bat my crazy ideas off. Yeah, <laughs> 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 and try and figure out what what was so wrong with me. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, we'll, they will all get Christmas hampers next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but fair play to them because. Yeah. Uh, I, I I find it personally easier to probably console on women than I do with men. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and but aside from that, another thing that's quite funny is like the stereotypical view of what men tend to talk about when they're alone is football or something yeah. stupid or another. But so often you'll find that they actually end up being quite philosophical discussions about. Uh, I'm very open things. about what people are going through and stuff. I've always yeah, found exactly, that. Yeah. Um, great solace in that really that you know having a group of mates that you can be like you know this is i'm feeling fecked like this is Mm -hmm. everything's in bits and 
you're not just going to, I mean, when you're younger, there's probably more slagging and stuff and a bit more, you know, be a bit more worried about it. But generally, I think people are understanding. I mean, there's enough awareness now that people are, everybody's kind of feeling it. So, yeah. And, and, and something like a pandemic actually makes, makes it even more okay to come out and say these things or, or feel it, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's a bit more. Uh, okay, I, I think the, the situation now actually gave me a lot of freedom to come out and, and just speak what happened to me without really any, yeah. any, any fear, like yeah. negative backlash because yeah. uh, everybody's going through it. It's no secret that everyone's suffering right now. Like, yeah, you know, no, absolutely. And that's why it was so well received. I think that's why so many people were so into it because, um, everybody is feeling a little bit of that. Uh, do you think that suffering that you went through gave you more of a feeling for other people than you would have had? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, um, like I was like any other, you know, teenager, late teenager, early, early twenties, whatever, who would have been cocky and arrogant probably and or whatever, yeah. you know? But something like that humbles you, like it flattens yeah. you to the ground and humbles yeah. you and you have to build mm-hmm. yourself back up. So you no longer, you know, take for granted, I suppose, mm-hmm. confidence. See, I, I lost confidence for a lot yeah. of years, right? And and this affected mm-hmm. me more than anything because I used to be a kid who could, you know, I'll jump off that building on a skateboard and I'll land, yeah. I'll land that yeah. shit. You know, I'd no, you know, I'd never second guess myself, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but when something like that happens, like confidence is a real funny thing, right? Yeah. And um, yeah. it's not something that you can buy. And it's certainly not something that you can just turn on and off because yeah. it's, it's just something deep within a person. I feel like that mm-hmm. kind of allows them to, to explore themselves wherever it is. So I now have, have way more humility for myself and like, I'm no angel by any means. I still get like fiery emotions from time to time. Like if, if someone cuts yeah, me off, yeah and I'm driving, like, I will want to jump out the <laughs> fucking van, you know? Yeah. Um, it's interesting, though, that you said, because I was the same way, like, as in that maybe I was more arrogant, but I always put myself into all these situations that knocked me down a peg. Mm. And that actually really shook me up for a time. Like, I remember I quit boxing and everything stopped because I lost uh, my last fight. And I was just like, I really withdrew from challenges. I really felt like, maybe you had this internal voice of, you know, that you're a loser or that you're not good enough and you stop putting yourself out there. You actually try and just kind of, um, you don't test yourself as much. So yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It has that withdrawing effect of losing. It, it, it absolutely does. Right. And actually in the kind of latter stages of that article that I, I recently put out, that was one of the points I was trying to get across was that, um, if you're looking for all of the recognition, and acceptance and congratulations from outside of yourself. Yeah. You're yeah. always going to, you're, you, it's always going to be a struggle because yeah. either you don't get enough of it or it's not the right sort of feedback or it's critical or, 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 you know, whatever it is, like that's always going to be a problem. So, and, and I had to kind of learn that the hard way because I just, a couple of years ago, I just felt like no one thought I could do anything. Well, I, I have got this funny thing. If you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to really, really want to do it. You know? <laughs> yeah, you got and so I kind of thrive off it now more so yeah. than I, maybe I would have, but like, it's, it's like with uh, the magazine and with the video and the boat and whatever else. It's like every single time uh, someone has kind of been like, uh, you don't know what you're doing. You know what I mean? And they're yeah. completely right, but it only, it's only served to make yeah. you want to do it better. <laughs> yeah. That just makes it competitive to just go out and actually. Yeah. Know, yeah. 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 So, so that's it. Really- 
I think when you're on your own as well, if you're very, um, if really your your motivation and stuff is coming from other people or it's coming from, you know, compliments from other people, when there's nobody around, it's going to be very hard to motivate yourself. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Big part of growing up is you do go out on your own for a period of time. That 16 to 25, it's later now because we, you know, stay at home for so long. But whenever you go out on your own, oftentimes there aren't other people around. Oftentimes it is just you. So the stories that you tell yourself and what you do when you're on your own are going to be what you believe about yourself. That's going to really be who you are. I always do that. Like if I'm out running or anything, I'm like, oh, I'll just cut a corner or I'll just do less or something. I always try and make myself do more because I know that that's going to be the story in my head. That's going to be, you know, the soundtrack that's on. And when I was 16 to, you know, early 20s, 23 or so, the soundtrack in my head was not good. It was always that, you know, I quit when it got tough or I'd, you know, I'd be really confident and go in and I'd get knocked down and then it would suck. And that, that really shaped my, you know, what, it, what I did in the world. Um, I kind of, there was another question I was going to ask you, actually, let me. Well, just, just on that point, though, uh, you see, motivation is, in my opinion, it's, it is a very temporary thing. Yeah. Um, I, I quite often find that, uh, like, motivation can be great to get you out of a sort of a pit, yeah. but all in all, anything that you're going to do successfully is in the routine and it's in the consistency. The discipline you know? really, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, motivation it's, comes and goes. Yeah. Um, I, I read uh, Jocko Willink's extreme ownership book there recently yeah. and, and I really resonated with it. And the whole thing was, um, discipline equals freedom. Right. But then, yeah. Yeah, you know, because it. it's like, I, I actually recently started, uh, weightlifting and this honestly is not, I never in a million years would have thought that I'd ever get into this, but yeah. I've gotten a lot of like solace from it, you know, because it's something that you can do by yourself. It's actually really calming, you know, like I have a small yeah. setup out in the back garden or whatever it is, nothing major, but I found it really calming. I found it like a, a point of a day where I can look forward to it. And, and mm -hmm. It's like all when I'm in work and I've just done 10 hours of a shift and I'm like, oh, I got to go home now. I got to go fucking work out. You got to go li lift weights. I got to go know. lift more shit. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. like, but it's, it's, it's those moments in your head, right? Like they're the test. The test That's is, it. you exactly. know, by the time you've left your house to go and do that run, you've already won, right? It's when you're in the house and you're trying to, you're, you're deliberating with yourself whether or not to do it. That's, that is, that is the person in your head that's going to stop you from from that's going, the fight. going for it. Yeah. Yeah. And then and again, I always say that it's not, it's not what you don't do today. It's what you don't do tomorrow because of today, you know, and that exactly. goes for, it has knock on effect. Man. Like if you, you skip the run or you skip weights and then the next day it's harder to do it. So you skip it again. And then yeah. you say, oh, I'll take this week off and then that's it. It's done. Yeah. So you're, yeah, you're always building every, I heard a good quote that every decision you make is a vote for who you're going to be. Mm-hmm. So every choice that you make is creating that future person that you're going to turn into. Yeah. So, and it's compounding it. interest. Like that works yeah. from, from, uh, from your health, your well being to your finances, like everything, like the most, most powerful thing in this world is, is like compounding interest. You know, it's, it's the consistency over time that builds upon block upon block, you know, and you get that, you see that in construction from start to finish. The consistency yeah, of showing exactly. up each day and and building more and more and more and but doing so in a smart way because you got to play the game and you got to you got to you got to strategize exactly what it is mm -hmm. that you're going to do. You can't just 
you know, there's no point in trying to build a house, you know, by just knocking <laughs> just down wing, walls all up. the time, right? You know, or just, <laughs> yeah. just winging it. You got to go in there with a plan. And yeah. and those that time that I spend prior to ever opening my mouth about doing a potential project is when I'm actually sitting there kind of thinking, okay, how is this going to work yeah. out? Like, you know, <laughs> plotting, reverse engineering it, like how yeah. how is this going to work, you know? These are really key skills underneath what you're doing very much, like the discipline, the strategizing, and also the uh, implementing the goals. That's like, um, that's really kind of what lies behind a lot of your philosophy here. Um, how do you think that relates to skateboarding? Is it the same thing? Is it something that, I mean, with the magazine, are these values that you're trying to inspire in skateboarders? Yeah, because the idea of the magazine is that you want to try and give people a reason to push themselves, make, you know, go out yeah. and, uh, and and take photographs or hmm. uh, do a bit of writing, you know, or whatever it is. Yeah. Like, you know, if, if people don't have um, like that output, it's very difficult. Yeah. Like, so look, I can, yeah. I can take whatever skills I have. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can guarantee people that there will be a platform for them and an event that we can all come yeah. together and share, share in each other's work because Within a magazine, you might have like 60 different people who've contributed to it or more. Mm-hmm. And then those yep. 60 people will have one or two friends who are stoked on that, you know, for their friends. And then they all come together and it's just one big community, you know? Yeah. And everybody gets appreciation for it. So yeah. it acts as a motivating <clears throat> factor for them. Exactly. Skateboarding is kind of, you think of it as like counterculture. You don't, you wouldn't put it with like discipline and strategizing yeah. maybe, but it's, that's it's a big funny. part of it. But, you know, like that is, that is the common view of it but at the same time right i i challenge you to find any kid who plays sunday league football to get up out of bed on a sunday morning without a coach and go to a fucking car park in the middle of january and (laughs) and skate for like six hours trying to learn a trick you know like like and, and parents i find very often don't actually see that the amount of effort the time and effort their kid puts into doing something like that like that is that is a discipline on another level. And you'd actually find what's quite upsetting is as the years go on, those kids, they feel like, at least I did anyway, you feel like those that time and effort that you put into genuinely trying to learn a trick or, yeah. or a skill is underappreciated mm-hmm. by so many people. Because yeah. Yeah. like I recall very vividly going into a counselor when we were in school together. I think we were, we were in maybe third or fourth year. And, um, well, I won't say her name. But uh, she brought me into the into the room and she was talking away to me and she tried to convince me to quit skateboarding. Right? Oh, what? And I look really? back on that now with absolute... That is incredible. Oh, I look back on it with just amazement to think wow. about that. I'm like, here's the most positive <laughs> thing that I've ever done, right? That and she would good. she tried to make me stop doing that, she you know? She tried to make you quit. Yeah. Um, wow. Like, it's... So that's, that's an unfortunate stigma that can be attached to skateboarding. Is, and I'm trying to change yeah. that through the magazine i'm trying to show the, the 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 true nature of skateboarding which is uh which is like you know the it, it's a lot of the discipline in it, you know discipline and courage as well to get and up and courage, do right? it and take yeah. risks and you're learning coordination you're hanging out with people i mean there's a lot worse things you could be doing man um, yeah but it is it's a very noble mission that you're going on that's something that's really it's really like what a coach does, I think, in a sense, in sports, like where you would, like, I love martial arts. So I would always try and teach people and encourage them in martial arts. And it's like you've taken the values from skateboarding and now you're giving it back to the community to create, you know, a framework for them yeah. to actually experience the same things you did from mm-hmm. it. 
Yeah, which is and you're giving really. you know you're giving people that expression. Uh, like like my my part to play in the magazine really and truly just just goes to organizing it, putting it together, and you're leaving the artistic spirit of it to to all the contributors. You know, like all of those people are what make the magazine. I just put in a bit of the legwork behind it to you know just try and try and give people that space or whatever it is. And, give it exactly, man, and put the plan in motion. Like somebody yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I think about it again, you know, like, um, by the time I was kind of coming up and when I might've started getting into magazines, they had pretty mm-hmm. much all disappeared. Like, you know, the internet yeah. taken over everything. And I, it really yeah. annoyed me because I always wanted to have this one physical reminder of what I was doing at this age yeah. and that I could show my mom. Yeah. I'd be like, look, I'm in a magazine. That's that was, so cool. Yeah. For the kids, for the young people that are skating, it gives them something that, you know, a level of prestige that, and it feels more almost cooler than the internet to be honest with you i mean a magazine yeah. is a step up from that really yeah 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 and then you remember the night when it's been released to me that's very important because you want to have a you want to have yeah. so the, the the okay the magazine is this physical uh mm. embodiment of all of this work that's been done over the year whatever it is to go into it and that's great now they're reminders but like to the person who got the magazine and was there on that night they your first instinct when you look at that magazine isn't what's in it. I find a lot of the time it's like, oh, what? It's the, it's the yeah, it's the it's the relationship that you had on that event, and hopefully, like that was a good one, you know. And they are they're all amazing, man. They're really I've been at all of them now. I think and yeah, it was just there's such an atmosphere to it. And like obviously, I'm not a skater, but you could get a real sense of a community forming around something that matters a lot to them. And obviously, it's a bit wild and it kind of maybe ties in with the session DJ culture yeah, yeah. a bit as well, but it's, um, it's something that's very rare, I think. And it's something I'd like to see a lot more of. So I really hope that after this, you get to do more of them and, yeah. um, continue. Yeah. Creating as much of it as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to change tact a little bit. I mean, in your article, um, my jewel and darling, you talk about Dublin city a lot and I always kind of associate you with Dublin cause you yeah. love it. But, um, Obviously, it's been a bit crap for the last while. Um, could you ever see yourself living anywhere else? Yeah. So um, this is uh, like this is this could be a whole podcast on itself. Like, honestly, <laughs> yeah. You know, this, yeah. Uh, I don't know how much I should really ramble on about this, but um, so I want to be positive, but I fear for the worst in terms of what's about to happen in Dublin. Um, yeah. There, there. Okay. So there, there are two, there are two kind of competing. You know positives and negatives here right so like the positive outcome for me throughout all of this covid stuff right is is the over-reliance on dublin stops because it needs to stop okay so dublin is responsible for something like 60 percent of the irish economy yeah like that is and that is a ridiculous statistic Um, yeah um so like to get to that point i will go on the background of this because it is important right like if we if we switch back to the 1930s um the Irish economy was based upon what you used to call the three B's. Okay. So that was yeah. beef, beer, and biscuits. So you'd like Guinness's yeah. Jacobs and, and the meat industry pretty much. Um, that changed over very slowly changed over about two and a half decades. Um, Sean Lamas with Fianna Fáil came in and, uh, he kind of brought in these new sort of, these new, these new ideas, whatever it is, you know, um, he's a very interesting character. Yeah, he stoked a lot of business in the South, didn't he? I remember learning about him in history. Yeah, yeah, like an interesting character. But um, T.K. uh, Whitaker was also, he was a civil servant and he was also very integral to this and the IDA. um, But basically what happened was we decided to sign an agreement with Britain 
for a trade mm-hmm. agreement. Okay. Now, like I know this sounds like I'm going way off the beat here, but just bear with me. I, I'm right with you. Let's hear what's um, going down. Right. So, so we had this agreement mm-hmm. whereby in 1955, we, in 10 years time, what was going to happen was the 1965 trade agreement would kick in. Um, we, for the first 10 years, got to reap all of the benefits of that without tariffs, uh, you know, it, it, and, and Britain didn't. And the reason that was, was because all of our industry was very small. And if we were to just go into a free trade agreement with Britain, all of our mm-hmm. companies would have just been destroyed, basically. Yeah, we wouldn't have been able to keep going. <laughs> yeah, so we were given 10 years to bolster up these companies, okay? And what happened was one of the uh, one of the incentives to try and build up the companies to get a bit stronger to compete in the UK was a low uh, corporation tax. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so, so what happened there was um, all of these companies in Ireland were given this incentive now to boost up your revenues, uh, make mm-hmm. yourself stronger and get ready. Um, yeah. But then a German company called uh, Lever, uh, they, they uh, produce cranes. You go across the city, so you'll see plenty of them. Um, this German company came to the government and said, well, if we set up in Ireland, could we get that same deal? And they were like, yeah, sure. So they set up yeah. in Kerry, and they're still there to mm. this day. So yep. unknowingly, we had discovered foreign direct investment, pretty much. Yeah, um, just which, yeah which has become a big staple of our country. Um, and there were many other like positive uh things that they were doing around the time. One of them was the Shannon Free Zone. And the Shannon Free Zone was, if you set up in the west of Ireland, you know, just, just on the Shannon pretty much uh, in this area beside the airport. You see, the airport had kind of been declining around, I think, the 50s because yeah. um, longer haul flights no longer really needed to stop off there as much and they were starting mm-hmm. to lose money. So what they said was, right, we're going to try and uh, bring uh, more companies into this area. You set up here, you get more of a tax advantage if you would if you set up in Dublin. Okay. Yeah. So yep. that that would be something very positive that could happen again today. And to I give would, like more tax cuts for other areas. Yeah, to, like there's there's a number of ways of doing it, but I just feel like rural regeneration could like it's the most underutilized asset in the country is all of our rural towns and villages because yeah. there's plenty of people there, there's plenty of accommodation and housing, and then the transport can be upgraded over time. Although it's to be honest, it's not even that bad as it is. Like you're going to get to Cork in two and a half hours now or Belfast in an hour 45, or Galway in, what, three and a half or something like that. You know, So it's very doable. Um, so, yeah, so so there's an over-reliance upon Dublin. Um, you know, what happened in, um, what happened in the, uh, in the 60s and 70s was there was a slum clearance. Um, there was a lot of very poor standard of housing in the old Georgian, uh, the old Georgian townhouses became tenements. They were like tenements, yeah. With yeah, tons they were, of families they were in an awful state. So what we done was we mm. built the likes of Crumlin and Drimna uh, and out as far as Ballyferma, which at the time to these people was the countryside, right? Yeah. Um, so that kind of emptied out Dublin City. There was very little life left in it anymore. And mm. it, it laid open a, a, an opportunity for developers to start knocking down countless amounts of uh, historical buildings in replacements of offices, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so here's another... So we, we've lost the city, okay? The population is gone. Yeah, that's and, kind of the thing. I mean, with Dublin, whenever I go there, I always feel like it is... It's really lost its kind of sense of self. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite gone. like... Yeah, the, o- the older kind of vibe of the city is very much in decline, and it's kind of getting very... I mean, I, I don't have any issue with globalization. I'm not a person that would be against that, but it it does seem to be kind of at war with itself where you've got yeah. these areas that are look completely different to each other. And it's like, 
really going opposite directions almost, mm-hmm. it feels like. And um, such a small country that like for, mm-hmm. for somewhere like Germany to, you know, um, try and link up its entire economy through cities, that's a very difficult yeah. thing to do. But for us, it's actually very easy because we're such a small country. It's very, very quick to get from one city to the other, right? Um, and then obviously if people are working from home now, you can start working in more and more remote places. And well, that's need- the other thing, man. It's almost like it doesn't really matter where people are anymore because you're going to see it more and more. I was thinking about that. I, love, I could get a job in Dublin and get paid Dublin wages in Belfast now if yeah. I could get away with it. But right, exactly. that kind of changes the story really, doesn't it? It's- and But the scary side of that too is that if someone... Uh, you know, uh, could do your job from, if you can do your job from your house, well, who's to yeah. say it, then it doesn't get sent to a different country altogether. So and then that job is gone. Yeah. 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 No, I think, I think that's covered. I don't think that'll happen because the tax mm-hmm. advantages here are based on the idea that you're bringing in yeah. employment, you know? Um, yeah. so anyway, um, yeah, so, so Dublin, it, it, like its population is more or less gone. Let's say it, it was kind of wiped out in that time. Um, all of the trades and, and local shops and stuff like that, they shut up. There was no one around. Uh, the cities were quite dead after uh, after six o'clock. Um, very interestingly, what propped up the office development during those years was ridiculous government uh, leases. So what would happen yeah. was um, a developer would go and buy a plot of land and then he would say speculatively however many offices he might get and then he'll go to the government department and he'll he'll literally go across town into different, into different departments, Department of Finance, Department of whatever, right? And he'll say, are you looking for office space? Because I can build you this here. And they'd say, eh, yeah, we'll take it, you know, <laughs> why, like why not, not our money, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so what was happening was they would take a 35-year lease on mm-hmm. these offices, which meant that they literally paid off the entire development without owning any of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they yeah. just fueled the speculation for years. And then uh, the 80s came and we had a crash. And then the 90s Celtic Tiger comes. Yeah, property um, in Dublin is a weird thing, man. It's oh, so it's I mean, crazy. Moving to Belfast, you're very much like, it's insane that people like my age and stuff are all buying houses. Like They're all like, oh yeah, that's what you do. You, you leave school, you save up, you get a house. And growing up in Dublin, like it wasn't even that you could buy a house. It was like, am I actually going to even move out at mm. all? Yeah. And I think for mental health and stuff as well, the most development I had, more developed than college, was living on my own. And it was being responsible for everything that you do. So having people stuck at home more for longer, I mean, if you get on with your family, fair enough, but it it does limit the, for a whole generation of people, they're missing out on key experiences mm-hmm. that you get from being on your own. Yeah, just freedom and learning. Just freedom to and also, yeah, you just have this kind of people squashed in in families. I mean, it used to be the old way, but it would be interesting to see if there's a united Ireland, if um, the North then gets the same kind of investment as the South, would it be the same situation? Yeah. And again, this is kind of coming back to my point, like you need to divert these things away from Dublin. Every multinational company is going to want to set up in Dublin. It's like, it's like everyone wants to set up in London, right? But it's just not sustainable. You know, it just drives things up. really have the infrastructure and it it is, you do feel it more now, I think, in the native population. Like whenever I go back, it feels very different than it used to. There's quite a sense of, um, yeah. but I mean, there are advantages to it where people have more money and more jobs and, you know. Yeah, I, so that's, yes, that, that's, that's the thing, right? This is, pharmaceuticals. this is kind of where, where things start to get really unequal uh, mm-hmm. in that you would have somebody who's grown up in uh, Ringsend, for instance, like I would work with plenty of, you know, bricklayers and whatnot from Ringsend. 
um, their children can't live in that area anymore because of Google. Mm. Um, because the yeah. wages that they're competing against to live in that same area are skyrocket. You know, they're yeah. far beyond what uh, the average wage is in Ireland, right? So this is going to happen. This is this mm. is a teething problem. And, and, you know, there are so many mm. benefits to having, um, you know, these, these multinational companies in here, whatever it is, you know, and, and it, it's funny, right? Because across the political divide, you often find that whenever the kind of, <laughs> the issue of like corporation tax comes up, people are like, Ah, you know, but we kind of let that one slide. Like, you know what I mean? We're, it's we're, either one or the other, isn't it? Like, get yeah. rid of them, or you know, yeah, well, it does. I mean, I would be sympathetic to the idea that it has kind of created modern Ireland. Really, like, if mm-hmm. we didn't have yeah. low corporation tax, we wouldn't have gotten the development that we have. Like, Ireland in the nineteen fifties was like, I mean, I talked to my grandparents and stuff, and it was like almost like a third world country. Like there was yeah, none yeah. of this, like you're not getting lattes, you're not getting your croissants. No, it, but it, funny enough before that, simple. like, it, you know, in the 1700s, it was a very prosperous place. Now, obviously yeah. there's the complete opposite spectrum of poverty on top of that, you <laughs> know, and like real poverty, you know, but yeah, it, yeah. it, like we were at one stage, the second city in the empire. And that was at the time when the empire controlled the entire world. And that's why when you walk around Dublin, you see so much wealth in its, in its historic buildings. Now they've, a lot of them have been destroyed, but there is still quite a, lot, a number of them there. Like if you go to College Green and you look at the old Parliament building, you know, before oh, that's it's night. beautiful. Like, you know, the, it's, book that I'm, the book that I'm writing at the moment, uh, Millennial, which is a, a mystery novel set in Dublin, um, that's actually one of the key places, the Parliament building in it, the, mm. which is a bank now. It's a Bank of Ireland. It's a Bank of Ireland. Um, yeah, I think it's well, more just a building, man. You know, that was modeled on the White House. Really, yeah. Uh, the White House was modeled on oh, that. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. built before. It was built yeah. in the eighteen hundreds. It was mm-hmm. the House of Parliament, and then um, after the penal laws, it was sold to the Bank of Ireland, this fledgling bank. Yeah, but so extraordinary eight, place. Eighteen oh one comes along after, so a couple of years on from seventeen ninety eight rebellion. Obviously, yeah. tensions are still quite high, but eighteen oh one Act of Union comes in, and what happens is they remove the Parliament of Ireland, and they now sit in Westminster. So, what happens with that is you take out a large section of the wealthy people within Dublin, and then they pack up and they leave, and they take with them all those jobs that employed, you know, all of the servants and, and X, yeah. Y, and Z. Right. Um, <laughs> so, it's what's interesting to me when I walk around the city today is um, the most wealthy Georgian areas today. Okay. Mm-hmm are just offices. And then the original wealthy places, which was all on the north side, like, you know, the north yeah. side was the was the place to be. Uh, Mountjoy Square, Henrietta Street, um, all of those today, more or less, are are more run down and, but, but they have more life, funny enough, right? So there's yeah. more people living in them as flats. So they, mm-hmm. they do actually have more life. Like if yeah. you walk around Marion Square in the evening time, it's beautiful and it is quite nice that, that it's quiet. But at the same time, those those areas should be teeming with life. That's how they were built. Yeah, right? they yeah. were built to have people and have lots uh, of people. Yeah, the, so like at the heart of all of this comes back to housing, right? It's it's and not just that it's housing, but it's the ability and sustainability to live within Dublin City has declined yeah. rapidly. It has, and I think I mean in my head, I I do relate that partially to the mental health crisis in young people. I mean, there might be other arguments against it, but just in my head, I know human beings have a very long kind of incubancy period where we do have to spend a lot of time with our parents, but that twen- that kind of age bracket we're talking about, 16 to 25, is really a time where you should be finding your own feet. And one of the treatments for anxiety actually is feeling more competent. It's yeah. feeling like you have more skills to control your life so if you're not actually practicing those skills and you have a 
awareness in yourself. You have a biological clock that's like, all right, I should be at a certain stage in my life, but I'm still kind of in between here. Um, it creates a situation for young people where it's, it's very difficult to grow up in a time that's already difficult to grow up. And I think we're going to see, it, it's something that if people were addressing the mental health crisis properly, I think would be um, something important to start creating opportunities for young people to move out. It's I mean, a big part of it, definitely. That's why I moved to Belfast, because you can afford yeah. to live here. Like it's, Yeah, yeah. Like, seems to be the only option, really. You know, Belfast, like from from an outsider's perspective, it it's it looks like such uh, quite an ideal city, and I yeah. I really don't think that would have been said for a number of years, <laughs> no. this, right? Because it's, uh, it, it has had its historical problems. But yeah. when I go up there skateboarding, it, it's funny, right? So to me, over the years as I've gone up to Belfast quite regularly to go skateboarding, wherever it is, um, there is. There is a, an air around the place that feels like tension, but anyone you ever really talk to, it's they're so polite, so it's, friendly. This very, very friendly, um, and and again, like the ability to live in that city is it, it's a it's a lot more affordable. Let's say, for instance, like you can have your freedom as a youth, you know. Yeah, yeah, and you have. Um, there's just this. There's an easier life path. I think up here it's quite different. There's like um, a lot of young people. I mean, it would be a religious thing as well, but you see them getting married and buying houses and stuff when they're like, you know, 23, 24 and stuff. And that's like literally an alien world compared to South Dublin. Like mm. it's just, yeah. it, we're, it's totally different sports. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's something that's really interesting how in the same island, you know, within a, a couple of hundred miles, you can have these huge differences. Um, it would be if it'll be interesting to see if there is a United Ireland. How? Yeah, well, that's that's uh, actually what I wanted to kind of touch mm-hmm. on somewhat. Is, was yeah. was well, not so much that, but uh, like, would you view yourself as a European? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I always would have thought of myself as Irish. To be honest, I, the European identity. I think this is why a lot of people don't like the EU. This is why Brexit went through in the UK and stuff because the European identity isn't really a thing. It's quite abstract and it's very like far removed it's hard to patch it together like america kind of manages it even though they're all separate states and that you know it's yeah. even bigger but the european like european countries are all different countries and they all have very different histories and they all have very you know they've historically just been at war with each other the whole time so literally yeah yeah non-stop and yeah, always <laughs> like the whole thing was just england fighting germany or germany fighting yeah. france and like nobody well, got along <laughs> I, I I think history in Ireland is is taught re- relatively well actually in school. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it's very just focused upon the last hundred and twenty years, and yeah. this is an interesting thing that honestly I only discovered in the last like two years probably. Like the 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 makeup of an Irish person is so diverse, right? You know, like you have people. Well, really and truly, all of Europe today is more or less shaped by Vikings, right? Like, it's so integral to our history because Vikings, they came here, they set up our major cities, you know? They took over large parts of England, you know, took over York, whatever it is. Eventually, they settle in parts of of, uh, northwestern France, which then becomes Normandy, which literally just means North Man. 
And then they go over and take over the English and then the English take over us again. Or, well, you know, yeah, so like, again, yeah. <laughs> but they, they take over the English and they're the Normans at this stage and then they take over us. But then, you know, a new breed of Englishmen then comes That's over. Yeah, the Normans are, I mean, in Wexford, that was like a big Norman settlement. Yes. That's yeah, where exactly. my grandfather's from. Yeah. And a lot of the second names and stuff would still be, that's actually, again, the book I'm writing, the novel is partially set in Wexford with a guy called Devereux and that's a normal oh, yeah, name. yeah yeah exactly and then um, and, 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 and Walsh you know Walsh just literally Walsh, translates Roach. to Welsh you know yep. um, so if you look at a lot of the names you know like we have this idea of ourselves as this Republican Catholic society whatever it is but yep. that that myth has just been bed into us repeatedly for the last yeah. couple of decades you know like yep. you know so much so and it's done it's done no justice to us. I, I feel like we, um, I, I think all that really does is, is, is intolerate people t- to, uh, yeah. the idea of outsiders, you know? And, uh, mm-hmm. when you realize that, uh, you know, your, your, your makeup is of so many different places and people in history, you know, like I, yeah. I take a broader look at Ireland's history and I really just, I don't like to, to narrow it down so much to think of it as, as, as very one dimensional, you know? Yeah. I, there's a lot of different factors like the Protestantism and, yeah. Um, it is, it, yeah, quite quite a complicated history, to be honest. Irish history, whenever, I mean, you go into one bit of it and then there's just so much more, like the 1600s and Hugh O'Neill and... Oh, it's beautiful and history. Plantations in the North. Um, like, it's it such is. a fascinating, like, so many fascinating, colourful characters and, and events. And, and maybe we romanticise them now, but, you know, yeah. that's all well and good, you know, because at the end of the day, these stories are what makes us, you know, and and these stories can't just be from the last century. Like they have to go, you have to take a broader perspective of that. And obviously that takes more time and effort. So maybe a lot of people don't have that to really put into their background. It takes a lot of context, man. Human history is something that's just like, the more you learn of it, the more you realize you don't know. It's like the more educated you are, the less you actually understand where it goes. That it, you can really only scratch the surface a lot of the time with it. But um, yeah, with Irish history, we have a lot to draw on, really. Um, my dad had this interesting idea. His He writes screenplays and they're always about Irish history. Yeah. And he had uh, what he wants to do with it is to make Paddy Wood. So it'd be like Hollywood, but for Irish history, basically. Mm, yeah, that'd and, be good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, great stuff, though. Like big, like epic battles. And I mean, we had violent conflict for a thousand years yeah um, no shortage of stuff but that's probably a, a topic for another day well so I have no, yeah i have I another mean, question for you yeah yeah go ahead so, um if you could have a billboard that everybody in the world could see what would you put on it uh if, if you asked me this question last week i would have said by gme and a couple of rocket <laughs> emojis probably but yeah uh, but today today i'm not so sure uh like one thing that kind of resonates with everyone in the world. I, I genuinely tried to think about this yeah, and, I, and I'm not entirely sure what it is other than what mm-hmm. appeared to be like a healthy, natural looking world. Right. So as in, yeah. and, and I mean, this is in no smoke coming from chimneys, but like a, <laughs> yeah. a blue river with green fields surrounding it and mountainous regions. Right. Cause that is one thing that deeply we all resonate to, right. You know, mm-hmm. like if you look at population, uh, throughout human history, like why China and India are such populated areas is yeah. because they have so many rivers. It's yeah. the, it's the fresh, it's the reliable uh, source of fresh drinking water, which it, which drags us to certain areas. And of course, every city, more or less, in the has world, river. is based upon a river, right? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so it was. It would have to be something like that, just to give someone yeah. in a city clogged up. However, what is it? Sixty percent of the world's population live in cities now. I don't know. Yeah, something about preserving the nature. And yeah, and I've become far more, uh, you know, in tune with that recently. I finished uh, mm-hmm. the Good Ancestor um, recently, which which is it's more or less just a climate book, you know. But it it does put me in a state of mind, and and like I come from my family is, is a farming family, you know, there's a farmer and, and building family basically, you know, yeah. and. I have this sort of thing in the back of my head. I'm like, well, you know, if that land, you know, it, or if the family farmland, whatever, mm-hmm. is going to be used for farming, which is obviously just more probably destructive. I mean, look, it's only a small farm. You're only talking like, you know, a couple dozen cows. But yeah. uh, if you could then replace that with forestry instead, to me, that would probably, be, I, I would prefer that, you know, I'd yeah. a, a fucking paintball rig or something like that in between the trees and you could have a great time or you could do yeah. a few things, you know, but some delicious cows though, that we could all nibble on maybe or some <laughs> tasty pigs, but <laughs> yeah, uh, preserving. And, and then one other question that, I mean, cause reading everybody that read your piece, obviously probably had the same feeling as me that it was just like such an amazing journey. And if you had to take one lesson from going from that low point to where you are now, that you could tell to somebody that might be, you know, in a similar situation, you know, what lesson did you take from it that is meaningful for you? So it's, it's, it's not even really necessarily my, my lesson ever. Like I got this before my grand, my, my grandmother on my dad's side passed away. Uh, she, now I, I would go and visit her like, you know, once every few weeks, whatever it was, but she never knew who I was because, you know, she was 94 year old woman and, and her memory was, was good up to a point, but, but I could still sit down and have very good conversations with her from time to time, you know, if she wasn't too tired or whatever it is. And, and she had a very good memory of her, of her early life and, and stuff like that. It was good. But one thing she said to me that, that really resonated with me and I've kept with me since, um, you know, very close near to the end. She said, uh, she said, don't worry. She said, I spent all my life worrying and it never done me any good. And I thought that it was such a beautiful piece of advice. Yeah. Of course, that's not easy because to be able yeah. to stop worrying, that means you have to have a very good control and knowledge over yourself. But that's something that I think is certainly worth a try. And if you look at something like uh, like stoicism, obviously, is that's that's kind yeah. of the whole idea. Stoicism is is self control and control over your thoughts and emotions, and uh, even even maybe Buddhism and the whole idea. Like Buddhism is, you know, you control your cravings because your cravings is all that it is that upsets you in life. <laughs> or like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that, I mean, that's, that's sage advice right there, man. And at the end of your life, that's when things are in perspective, I suppose you'd really know what mattered and what didn't matter. And that's something as well, I find very inspiring about your work is, uh, your relationship to the elderly and to people that are senior to you, because there's a lot of disrespect these days for old people, I think, um, that comes out, which is horrendous because that's what you're going to be. One day we're all going to be there. I mean, look, when I'm hanging out of a bridge on the River Liffey after climbing up on a on a fucking boat that yeah. I built, like the thing in the back of my head is like, if I'm 80 years old, yeah. I'd be pissed off at myself if I didn't do this, right? Yeah. I didn't kind of like just take a dive every now and again within yeah. reason. But, uh, mm-hmm. but like you, you know, I spend a considerable amount of my free time enjoyably reading history books. I just get a lot of, a lot of enjoyment out of it. Yeah. But no history book can talk back to you. So the history that's there is it's set in stone, right? Whereas if you're talking to somebody who's, you know, 70, 80 years old or whatever, yeah. um, that, that history 
is within this person. And once they go, it's gone. You know, they've like, seen it. You they've know. Seen it and they've, they've witnessed it. And, and the point, um, so I, I got lucky in the sense that I befriended someone who lives uh, on my road, more or less, uh, who is one of the most fascinating people that I've ever met in my life. Now, this is one who, um, you know, she's traveled the world in the 70s, mind you. Like, she, she was traveling in the Middle East and Syria when, in the 70s, when there were no hotels and the police would offer you a place to stay in the jail cell if you like. You know, really, oh. here you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. and, and, but, but listening to her stories, uh, it gives you a broader perspective on life. And yeah. one of when I'm at that age and I can look back and say, and, and, and things that I've done or whatever it is, like, am I going to be happy with that? You know? Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's, a, that's the thing I, I kind of have in the back of my head quite often. That's yeah. that wisdom, isn't it? And I think that's yeah. writing ties into that a lot. I think writing is very much that, that process of reflecting on yourself. And that's something from history and from people that have lived their life. You know what I mean? I always get that from chatting with my granddad and he's so funny. Like he's always like, you know, ah, when we were younger and it was all in black and white and it was raining all the time and we were all sexually repressed apparently. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, I mean, but he used to say it's just life. Like it's, it was the same, you know, same problems, a bit more complicated now, but yeah, I mean, uh, look, it's, if I was trying to be a dictator and trying to make, make the most efficient use of people, wherever it is, or, or for yeah. their own benefits, what yeah. I, would look at, I would look at society and I would say, here is a group of completely lost young yeah. idiots. Okay. They don't yeah. know anything. They're completely, you know, they yeah. just, we've, all, we've so, all been there. They're so confused and they're so lonely. Okay. Yeah. Now here's a group of people who have lived their whole lives and they've had so many experiences and such worthwhile advice to give to people in their younger yeah. in their younger age who are yeah. also lonely. You know? I know. You couldn't write it really, could you? Like it's just Connect it's sitting people. right there, isn't it? I mean, look, there's there's a charity called Alone, which I have yeah. a great uh, admiration for the man who set it up called Willie Birmingham, you know. And um he he was a, a fireman who uh was grow, grew up in Inchy Core and uh, he'd give away the bread on his dinner plate to you, like you know what I mean. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. But he 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 was shocked at the sort of desolation, poverty, and, and loneliness of so many elderly people within Dublin. Oh, um, and he he's just spent his whole life just working to try and get these people uh, places to stay, good communication, good good support systems, you know. And uh, young people have that to offer, like they really do, you know. Yeah, we can um, do that. Mm-hmm. There's a beautiful uh, on his on his uh, on his plaque. I think I don't know whether it's actually on his grave or not, but it's uh, it's talking about his you know his favorite his favorite stuff or whatever in life. You know, so his favorite food is uh, is a good old Irish stew and lots of fish, and and for breakfast I have a couple of a couple of mugs of tea, and uh, and also lots of red tape to teach the bureaucrats a little manners. You know, and I love that. <laughs> I really, really yeah, love that. That's a smooth line. Because like you like I you'll find in our world today, right? The things that hold people back a lot of the time are the systems in place. So you don't want to start skating lessons maybe because you're afraid of the insurance that's going to come back and bite you. Like we're in a society where that's a real big problem, whatever it is, you know, or um, you just want to like, you find like young people, they want to do something really positive and good, but they don't know exactly how. And they are held back by so many different uh, things here and there, you know? And and like that is a big problem. I mean, you can do, you can do what you did, which is to, feel something to know you want to do something about it and then to just start start with whatever you've got i mean i don't think you necessarily need that much other than the will to actually see it through and do it 
Yeah, I mean, there's never an ideal circumstance is the thing. And something I was going to mention that I've been trying to do in work um, with customer service, maybe if there's anybody that's listening that's in customer service, is a lot of the times people that are isolated and on their own, the only kind of people that they'll speak to is utility services or things like a bank or like, you know, Vodafone or something like that. And oftentimes they will mention on the phone that they're isolated and lonely. And there is what what I'm trying to do basically is that there's certain systems in place that you can recommend to them. Things like Age UK, I think Age UK is one of them, and Silver Line. And then, yeah, basically to just offer them like you would with any sort of services to try and connect them to somebody. I mean... I know there is a lot of resources, but it's hard to reach people that are isolated and that are on their own. And I think post-pandemic, it's really going to be something that a lot of people should get involved in to try and reconnect these disparate communities because we've all become very separated. And oftentimes the best way to feel connected to people is to help bring people together. I'm sure you know that from Goblin and everything else. It's... um if that's what you feel you need, you should do it for other people as well. And obviously we've sped up like the technology, you know, our society is now, it's just mm-hmm. so much more technologically advanced within the last 13 months. People don't even realize that, yeah. you know, that there's plenty yeah. of older people who wouldn't know how to operate an online. No, shop. they would have no idea. And I'm uh, sure there is, I'd be interested in resources for helping to train elderly yeah. people. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, so the the day-to-day knowledge that young people don't think is very complicated or, or whatever is actually yeah. very valuable to these people, you know? And very, the life yeah. lessons of these people is very, very valuable to young people. Yeah, so the there is exchange. a connect there that, you know, has yeah. to be made. I know, um, I really, it's interesting that you've come to that conclusion as well. That's something that's been very much on my mind. Um. But yeah, uh, and what's next for you? What's um, what's coming up? Yeah, there's a few things. Uh, uh, so I've, I've got uh, in the process of writing a book on the history of skateboarding in Ireland. Very nice. Yeah. That's... So and and then what I was initially planning on doing was having that split in half with uh, a graffiti, like the history of graffiti in Ireland as well. Yeah, but I think, I think what might work out better is maybe just to actually just do the two books separately. Uh, it's a long-term sort of a process. It's going to take two to three years, undoubtedly. Yeah. You know? So and I'm not, sure. I'm not going to rush it too much. I'd like to get you know a good all-round sort of timeline and and yep. get the stories and stuff from there because they're very mm-hmm. important. Um, yeah. And then aside from that, I am in the process of uh, pushing forward the first sporting body for skateboarding in Ireland. So that will. Oh man. Yeah, that, that, that's that a long time. To be, to be honest. Uh, yeah. We, the system that we have for getting skate parks built in this country is completely backwards. It's treated the same way as the playground is. You know, it's uh, there's no real design gone into it or thought or anything like that. And uh, no separate policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't even blame like like the councils, or whatever, because it's good intentions to build these parks, but um, yeah. there's no official body that they could turn around to and ask like, okay, well, could we get some insight? You know, and yeah. skateboarders yeah. are more than feeling free free of charge. Here you go. Here's my yeah. Is my opinion, you know. Uh, well, man, there the skateboarders are lucky to have you, man. You're a hero yeah. and an inspiration, bro. And yeah. I really appreciate you talking with me today. I know we'll definitely have more conversations like this in the future. All right. All good. Peace.